Welcome to Collision, where faith and doubt collide. I'm Nick Flores, your host. Thank you for tuning in. I want to express gratitude to our supporters for navigating the varied themes of our podcast. Whether we're diving into deconstruction one week or exploring Christianity the next, your ongoing support means a lot. Our podcast isn't just about the collision of faith and doubt. It's also a platform for diverse perspectives. From those who have fully deconstructed their beliefs to those deeply rooted in their faith, we embrace the spectrum of experiences. We believe in the power of diverse narratives to foster empathy, inclusion, and resilience within our community. This isn't a place for debates or easy answers. It's about listening, learning, and holding up a mirror to examine our beliefs and their impact on others. Our goal is to create a safe space for understanding, empathy, and where collision leads to growth rather than conflict. I want to commend our guests for their courage in sharing their stories. I know firsthand how challenging it can be to speak one's truth. Through their openness, we invite stories of deconstruction and reconstruction. Today, I'm excited to introduce our special guest, Rex Roberts. Rex and I have known each other for a while, almost like, oh my gosh, since 2011, 2012-ish. He was a leader, a part of a high school group I attended my senior year. And then when I graduated high school, I served alongside Rex in the very same group for a year, maybe a year and a half from then. Rex, if you recognize the last name Roberts, Rex Roberts, he is husband to Ashlyn Roberts, who is also a guest on the podcast for episodes 6, 7, and 11. Rex dives into his story of growing up as a Christian inside a family of divorce living with both his mom and dad in two separate households and navigating two different church experiences growing up, and then diving into how he ended up jumping into service as a youth leader and navigating some very hurtful experiences in his life. And just kind of a culmination of all that in this conversation, this is Rex's first time really diving into any of these topics and outspokenly outside of conversations with his wife. So I just want to commend Rex on that as well, as a huge step to open, to be open in public about your story. It's very inspiring, so thank you for coming on, Rex. I enjoyed our conversation together. I've always enjoyed our community, and I look up to you. Definitely for over the past however many years we've, we've known each other. So, here's my conversation with Rex Roberts. Sure, yeah, well, I mean, growing up... Um grew up in Cardiff and Encinitas area, North County, San Diego. Um, my parents came from LA. My dad was from Westchester. Mom's from Redondo Beach. My dad had a Catholic upbringing, so he always had kind of religion in his family. And my mom, um, I'm not 100% clear on her parents and whatnot, but they had some kind of religious beliefs. But my granddad was more on the agnostic side. Um, mm. And my mom ended up going the route of um, Presbyterian and, and that kind of, um, route. So my whole life has been, was going to, um, Presbyterian churches and Christian churches. Um, and then if my, my dad's family was in town, we'd go to mass sometimes, which is always really weird. Cause I didn't understand any of the liturgy stuff. And I didn't have any like affiliation as a Catholic person. You have to go through the whole, uh, like coursing to be like uh, the courses to be an actual like Catholic um mm. person so i never i didn't have that like divination there but um going just going through church uh 
like San Diego. We went to Solana Beach Presbyterian for a little bit. Um, and then when my parents were together, I mean, it was a lot of fighting and yelling at the house. So they kind of had their own separate ways. Uh, and then growing up, my dad ended up going to uh, Rancho Santa Fe Church. That was pretty well known, um, called Horizon. And uh, my... Um, my dad was always kind of looking to, to be like, have like that perfect family picture. So he always kind of wanted to go to the more like affluent or like maybe more like richer churches to kind of put off that like vibe of being like, Oh, look at us and our great family. Um, but I actually ended up getting more flack being from like a divorced, like family which was really weird and had um, kids that would always be like, well, why are we here one Sunday or the other Sunday? Um, mm -hmm. I was like, well, I have a, my mom. I go to my mom's church um, yeah. and my mom as a single parent would get a lot of like weird judgment from churches. So we went to uh, like a couple different churches before we found a good spot in Encinitas with a Presbyterian church. It's now Redeemer, but it was Northwest Presbyterian. So we went there for a little bit. That was like from about six. It wasn't until I was about 14, 15 that are like, no, well about 12, 13 actually that like we found a church that was, a good fit for us as far as like that. Um, so kind of always growing up in the church, um, not really having another option, uh, kind of having that as a default and like the, uh, the standard, like expected as far as like, um, church and whatnot. Yeah. You mentioned your dad wanted that kind of perfect family persona and going yeah. to the bigger church with, the richer families and whatnot. How did that translate yeah. at home when you, when you left Sunday and you left that space? Um, I think was like it, still... big, it was a big thing of instilling of like, look how great everything is. And it was always bringing up like, Oh, well we're doing this and this. And he came from a Irish Catholic family. Um, he has a lot of brothers and, and, and a sister. So even in like family gatherings, it was always like, there wasn't much talk about like how everyone's doing, but like it was a lot of like, well, we're doing this because we're so great. And it was really interesting because for me, it was like it ended up being like a big fight and like a big, like uh, almost like a wedge with his family of being like, well, my kids are doing this or my kids are doing this and having this weird, like expected thing. So even going home, the interesting thing was yeah, the practice as far as church was church. We go to church. Um, I would go to the kids section, he would go to the main church, or then some Sundays I would hang out with, um, like the main church if they did that. But for mm -hmm. the most part, it was that big separation. So it was like, he did his church stuff with the adult section and then we were taken to the kids spot. So it was always like, um, kindergarten and what, and whatnot. And then we would did Sunday and then we did the week, uh, midweek, um, youth group uh, at Horizon. They had Awanas, which is, uh, mm -hmm. like a kid's youth ministry thing. Um, so I did that. Uh, and then my mom's, it was, uh, doing Sundays. And then when I got old enough, they had a natural, like weekly junior high and a weekly high school. So I ended up going to that. And then it never really translated at home though. Um, my mom had her own, um, like practices as far as like, she had her little, like, uh, devotional book that she would go by and um my dad would always talk more like on the like these are my these are like the 
beliefs he follows, but it was never really practiced in person. So it was, it was kind of an interesting thing for me as, as someone who's trying to navigate an identity in, uh, in a faith, if that makes sense. Yeah, what were some of those questions in, in your own head growing up that you were well, the, trying to figure I mean, out? Immediately, as, a, as even as a little kid, was and we'd go to. I remember being in Sunday school, and they talked about like the Beatitudes and whatnot. And one of the um, youth people that was leading it, like one of the leaders for the the young, like uh, I think it was like it might have been even like first grade, um, was had some discussion about like divorce and whatnot. And I remember even as a little kid, just questioning and being like, well, I mean, I understand that you're saying like. Basically, he was demonizing people getting divorces and acting like that was like grounds for purgatory or for for hell. And I was like, "Well, my mom's divorced, and I don't." And I, so, I, even from a yeah. younger stage, it was like defending my mom and being like, "You know, if they were together, it'd be much worse." Like I know how they were when they were together, even as a young kid, and um, finding that way of of questioning, like, I, I and not in the sense of like, uh dismissing the actual like what they're trying to teach me but like in the sense of saying like you know you need to you need to expand on what you're saying because even as a little kid like you're not you can't just like demonize a whole section of people by because of a choice because to get out of an unhealthy relationship like there was there was you know um some infidelity um on my mom's side and i think that was like she cheated on my dad and they divorced because of it because they were like it's not going to work out but even even in the sense of without that relationship existing, my dad and mom together, it wasn't a good fit. Like it was very violent and uh, not like violent in the sense of physical, but in the sense of verbal. Um, and so our, my entire life, I, had, I do have an older sister and uh, we always felt kind of like we were the hub um, and kind of like, uh, as far as the family unit, it felt like more me and her navigating with them. So like whenever anything got crazy, it was always like uh, me and her to comfort or to kind of be that, rock foundation for each other you know so um and then my dad got remarried in 2002 and had a he got married to um my now stepmom and they had a little little girl um a couple years later she's she's like 22 now it's crazy she's gonna be 22 on saturday um so it's an interesting thing too because my dad kind of we're currently wanting this um unit and it was almost like we were like the test um mm. the test like beta and then he had like yeah. the actual rollout of his family with the other one so there's also a big separation there and uh another thing circling back to just wanting to support love and defend my mom uh there'd be some discussion like i remember as a little kid like screaming at them because they were talking crap on my mom or something like that and having that being a really weird dividing factor too you know yeah did you ever take any identity issues in, in needing to defend your mom of like, hey, that's my mom. She gets treated that way. Or is oh, everybody yeah. else thinking that about me? Yeah, I think for the most part it was, I, I think I was more like, uh, sometimes it's it's like explained as like a like golden retriever guy where like you're mm-hmm. kind of like this safe um, constant in a family and then your like worth is almost like in the, what you invest into people and what you're providing for um, like those relationships. So like in a lot of ways, I didn't look I, it was a, enough of a distraction, not for me to project anything on myself or even do any personal processing. So I had like my identity as like supporting 
um, my sister and mom and like, uh, you know, being a, a person that they could vent to and talk with and, um, almost have like, almost being like a pressure release valve for them. So if they had built up pressure, they could kind of relieve it, um, by like talking it through me, with me, but I never had that like outlet for myself at all, like as a kid. So I think for me, I internalized more stuff and bobbled it up. Um, and then found outlets in like physical stuff, like doing like skateboarding or surfing, um, and being able to be like, you know, like in some like sad ways being like, uh, like if I got hurt skating, it was like a, not like a penance, but like a, like my release. It was like, I could have a physical release with, uh, exertion of like exercise or surfing or riding my bike, um, yeah. or skating. And then that was like my. I don't know, therapy in a, in a really unhealthy way, you know? Yeah. Like you just needed to feel something. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it was really weird being like, um, a, a neurodivergent kid who didn't really have like a perception of, of pain, maybe as some mm. people would be. So like if we were roughhousing with, um, like just boys in, in, in North County, like we'd just get in a, a big old like WWE style batch and stuff. And I, yeah. I remember like somebody broke like a broomstick on my back and like not feeling anything and not, not and feeling like, um, there was like a strength in the fact of the, the numbness there, which is pretty weird. Um, especially going back to as a kid. I mean, and that, that is the thing with, um, neurodive neurodivergency is kids needing these like crash pads, you know, they're like, they're jumping, and they're hitting the ground really hard and not just yeah. something for them. Yeah, um, it's like a physical, as, it's a as physical I'm like stim. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And now you and I met um, my, my senior year of high school. You were a leader at the youth group I was going to. And then we ended up serving together once I graduated for like a year or two. Um, how yeah. did you go from what you're explaining now to, to then jumping into service as, as a youth leader? Yeah, I think the biggest thing was um, one of the things that connected me with the church and helped me, um, like, or helped, like, empower, like, a need to be there was the fact that I was a little kid who just was feeling kind of neglected and not really heard um, and not really being in a place to speak up. The only times I would, like, be in arguments or whatever or bring something up, it was, like, my dad talking to me to the point of me being in tears and not being able to process things. Um, and not really being heard as far as like, if I say it, Hey, I don't like that, uh, because of this and this, not being able to even have that conversation without it being at like a level 12 or level 10 volume of screaming at each other, because there was no way to process that. So I didn't give the, myself the right tools for emotional processing. Um, so the biggest thing circling back, uh, the reason why I ended up going into leadership is because like when I got connected with those churches, one of the biggest selling points was like, I was a little surf kid who didn't have any like. Uh, crew to surf with or anybody that was like kind of on the same page. I had a, a couple friends that like skateboarding, so I skateboarded with them and um, one of the first like connections I had was going to youth group having a male leader and having someone that would be like uh, I think definitely was like one of the first times I like had like a my come to Jesus moment was like at Hume Lake during a Christian like camp uh, Christian summer camp that's in uh, Visalia, Kings Canyon people aren't familiar um and having that actual time of like feeling vulnerable 
breaking down, allowing myself to cry and having that release, um, not in a place of being like pushed to tears because of frustration, but like being in a place of processing it um, and having male leaders that would listen and felt like they were, I was actually having support there. And I think a lot of it was just like me looking for a stand in big brother or father figure that could like actually like encourage me in that. And I think that was the biggest thing going into leadership, going into uh, high school leadership is not necessarily trying to take a big brother role for people, but like um, helping people with processing and getting, getting there and having that, that initial support and bond uh, with the community was like the biggest thing that was uh, made me want to do that. Um, and that was pretty much like what kept me in church and what um, like made me want to go into a leadership role. And also, it felt feet? like something you had to do. It felt like, you know, oh, I'm done with high school. Yeah. How do I keep it going? Kind of thing. Right. Yeah. What was your view of, of, of God and all of that? Of like, you're in just like growing up with um, even just like in some Christian circles of, of mental health and processing things. You mentioned you had some really good highlights with processing emotions and at Hume. Um, but how was that? As, as an overarching thing um, throughout your experience with, with mental health and processing things. And maybe not, maybe some people might even have the tendency to re- to make things like about religion and just pray it off and stuff like that. Was there any yeah. adversity there? I think that there is a, like I was kind of mentioning, there's like a general like expected toughness as like a boy, especially <laughs> a lot of times too, it can turn into like a insecurity by being in a, a room full of women and and being like the the not, not saying that there's anything wrong with it i actually loved my life i love the fact that i was able to spend it with my mom and sister um for the majority of the time and then have time at my dad's too some some days of the week um but i feel like because of that whole being a support for them and not giving myself time to process like god for me was like a uh kind of like an unknown big power like kind of like a guy behind the curtain pulling the levers and whatnot. Um, and then understanding that like God in my life at that time was kind of, um, I don't know, stepping in, in that father figure, but I think because of the mental health process and stuff, I, I just felt very alone and, uh, I didn't really have anybody as far as processing to see if there was any specific diagnosis, but like definitely having like some pretty low moments and i remember even as a really little kid feeling like super um bumped just because i was i i mean i felt depressed i didn't get any medication for it or didn't have any therapeutic help or discussion about it it was just being really low uh not really feeling like there's anybody that i could actually confide in and talk about so god was kind of like in some ways like a empty room i could talk to and be heard um with not as much response back at least as a kid and uh um finding ways that like there's a community and like kind of brotherhood with like the uh, male role models um and whatnot and kind of putting them up on a pedestal um and i think a lot of it was yeah having people that would uh show up people that would be like oh you you surf let's go surf i'll come pick you up we'll go surf this time this time and I think some of the relational stuff too, I, I, I put that into my, like my life as far as like how to, um, work with youth and whatnot, not in a way of like, uh, 
manipulating, but in a way of engaging with them. Like, oh, you like to do this? Well, I like to do that. Like, let's let's do that together. Like, we can go get some burritos and we can go surf or we can go skate or whatever. Um, but just trying to be an actual like presence in people's life. So I think like that was the thing is looking for that that um, figure. And I think in a lot of ways, I related that to God too. God being like someone who's uh, a comfort, uh, someone who would help you process and talk things through. Um, and also just a lot of like the like fatherly figure in my life. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So, you're, so I'm, I'm, I'm imagining this story of like, you're building up these walls, this safe fortitude, I guess, in a way in finding yeah. that, um, in church and finding that in, in God and community there. When did you start to break down those, those walls? start to deconstruct per se yeah i mean i like i said i don't really know if i have like the biggest like i don't know if i have the words for specific deconstruction stuff um Mm -hmm. i think a lot of it was i ended up going to a missions program after high school um and sometimes you tend to see like the flow of things uh the biggest thing with deconstruction was like um in a lot of interactions with the church and even on the evangelical side, because I did go to Presbyterian church. I was a leader at the Presbyterian church I started at and then worked with, um, North coast after, sorry, I worked with the, the church that I ended up meeting Ashlyn at, um, my wife. And that was, um, after I was in, uh, YWAM. So YWAM was doing a discipleship training school, doing some short-term missions, kind of working on all the processes and having like a theological based like course study of um different aspects of god so i think breaking it down was um seeing how sometimes in certain aspects and certain atmospheres i was at they were like it almost felt like a manipulation like uh like there was a expected emotional response by certain ways people would word things uh people using like specific verbal communication with specific like pause moments to draw out uh emotion um and i think for me i was going more on a guided thing of understanding like god is god wasn't someone who was controlled by man it wasn't a religion that was like specific like these people run it which is why it happens it was like people learning how how people respond to a big deity um and that was my understanding of it so i think sometimes when the uh like veil was pulled away essentially let's say to use that phrasing um you're seeing kind of not only seeing people that maybe didn't have the best intentions but people that also like were using their platform um in a manipulative approach and people using uh like more passive aggressive a lot there's a lot of passive aggressive passive aggression in the church and in the atmosphere and i think that's what um kind of made it more of a facade to me and that's what made me step back and kind of sit more in a place of like acknowledging a higher power but not being able to put a specific name on it so like uh i think it was really funny because we had a like encounter a couple of years ago um, with someone that was on the the podcast recently, and uh, I remember jokingly being like, "Oh yeah, I'm like a skeptic agnostic," and they're like, 
no way, me too. And I was like, and then at first I was like, I'm just joking. But in my head, I was like, no, I think that was like a place of like lucid, like vulnerability where I was just like, yeah, that's exactly what it was. And it was maybe, yeah. And it was even before I started the deconstruction process. So I think a lot of it was um, looking at the roots of things and finally being in a place where I've been vulnerable and can understand my like emotional regulation better. And then understanding like my brain is like an ADHD person, <laughs> you know, that, that is not fitting the norms of what is expected of like a neurotypical person. Um, and in a lot of ways, making it being like more analytical and like really kind of breaking down why are people doing this, seeing people's fronts, seeing kind of like masks that people put up and uh, like the intentions of like some people that might be uh, coming off as like this high religious like spiritual person but in the reality of them being just as broken as any individual and almost like um using their place to i don't know stir up more confusion or like uh, projecting their insecurities on people but trying to make it like uh, a religious like uh discussion like even recently at work i was on lunch and this lady who was kind of like rocking back and forth. And I was like, Oh, okay. I listen to my music and looking at my phone, like you would do on lunch normally eating my lunch. Yeah. And they came over and being like, um, just trying to kind of like prophesy to me and whatnot. But a lot of times it's kind of like when you, in the past, I've like had people do like fortune telling and stuff. And you, there's certain people when you're like, there's some, there's some divination people have, and there's some, like actual like sight people have where they can be like you know this specific thing pulled out of your life is like a specific memory linked to something and then there's a lot of times where people use it as like a verbal discussion of like i'm going to say these little things to try to tack onto something that i can expand on so being like having someone uh in that situation being like oh no i don't want to like no thank you i don't want to talk they had their grandkids with them so it's like oh your grandkids are cute and it was like <laughs> jesus loves you and i'm like okay thank you so much and it was like no he like knows where you're at and knows how you're feeling and using all these words to kind of um draw an emotional response out of me and in a way that wasn't specific but was really vague and i think i encountered that more and more um as i started like cycling towards deconstruction cycling towards like the reasoning behind stuff and i think it made it more like like a dog and pony show or like a uh it felt like a, it, it, I didn't never liked growing up. Like the biggest thing about my faith was like authenticity. Um, like going from a place of being like honest, direct and like transparent with people and discussing with people like, Oh, we don't know about that. Well, let's see what the Bible says. We'll look in it. We'll try to get that breakdown, like tr- get you that processing. And then realizing that that wasn't the intention of everyone. And that sometimes people mm-hmm. that were talking about a God driven life were actually broken people that were trying to elicit a response emotionally from someone to be like, not in a sense, in, in a sense of not wanting to help them, but like wanting control there. So to, to go on the, on the, um, on a whole rant there, sorry about that. But uh, yeah, I think the biggest like step away from deconstruction was um, seeing broken people trying to break more people. And I, I think it was uh, hard for me um, seeing that. And then, also, the uh, hubris people have of being like, I'm this high and mighty person and not acknowledging my own failures and faults. 
but saying like, you need to be this way because this is what it is. And you're like, okay. And also having conversations with family members that were upset about different paths other family members had taken, like, um, and being like, they really need to know this. And I had, a, I remember having a conversation with my, my mom a couple of years back and being like, you know, we, in this certain position as Christians at the time, we were, uh, we have our own truth that we follow. And that truth is a book that was written however long ago it was written and it's been interpreted however it was. But regardless, if you're trying to like push your truth onto someone else and that's not their truth, they're not going to believe you. They're going to say, that's your truth. That's the book you follow, but that's not my truth. So it's like, regardless of, I think our, our position, I think with that one, it was just hard to be like, you know, people, everybody lives their truth and people should be able to understand, like, like people should need to understand that sometimes people aren't going to want to hear them. People aren't going to accept their, their information because it's not truth in their eyes. Um, so it's like your truth is someone is, is not someone else's and you can't just expect someone to automatically accept the truth if they don't see that as truth. You know, if they don't see a, a book with a bunch of rules and set in place or a book that has a lot of metaphorical like interpolation where you can have stuff where it's like, Oh, I'll see this this way, but it's, but someone else can read it a whole different way. So it's hard to say, it's hard to speak in an absolute like that and say something is specifically one way and, and expect someone to understand that too. Um, mm -hmm. So I don't know. That's, that was the gist of it. Just constant questioning, constant kind of more stuff, bringing the light, looking at history and whatnot with, uh, all the blood that's on any religious like uh, group, like e almost yeah. every religion has a certain amount of blood and a certain amount of, uh, you know, indigenous people that have been uh, persecuted or killed for li listening to their beliefs or reading about, you know, Christian um, uh, conquistadores that would, that would come in and not just be like, they'd be like, this is our one God, the one way, but also like using their own like rhetoric or their own, communication to demonize all the, the local people's uh, like gods and whatnot. And uh, I don't know, there's just a whole bunch of stuff. I think I went to a, a place where I just hyper-focused on a bunch of stuff, read a bunch of information, and was mm -hmm. just kind of more, my eyes were more open to stuff. Now you mentioned when you went to YWAM, you were, there was kind of this teaching of how to manipulate and use words. Um, and then you started to recognize that there in the present did you ever look back on your life as a kid growing up in church and think oh wow that happened to me um i i yeah. felt i'm a victim to that yeah and there and just to clarify like with ywam it wasn't a specific like we're teaching you how to manipulate people right. but it was something that i picked up on in the sermons and right. stuff like so there was a lot of it where it was good explanation of uh, different aspects of god there was like a father heart course that I remember being like, wow, this is really cool. Um, but I definitely, uh, it was not in a sense of this. They're not saying this is how you're supposed to teach. This is how you, you get right. emotions, but picking up on different traits that different speakers would use. And especially yeah. um, in my, so I went to YWAM. I did like a discipleship training school, which is like training and uh, gearing you for outreach, which is like the short-term mission section. So I did Kona, Hawaii for, a couple of months. Um, then I did South Africa for three months where we went and worked in uh, one of the townships in Cape Town. 
um, kind of just circled around with people. We did these things called treasure hunts where you pray and God gives you words or pictures and you look for the pictures and it's like confirmation that God's speaking to you. So you're, you'd be like, oh, God told me like a purple fluffy feather boa or something and you see it and you're like, oh, that's God telling me I need to talk to them and pray for them. Um, and I think a lot of it, especially when like leaning and learning, like hearing the voice of God and learning on like your um, maybe on the prophetic side, because uh, why I'm <laughs> fully Pentecostal, they say non-denominational, but it's fully Pentecostal, very like Holy Spirit driven and uh, leaning on like the voice of God kind of thing. Um, so they incorporate that into like local outreach and uh, um, working in the city too. Um, but seeing that uh, and so that, that was more the thing of once I got got back to the states or to mainland, um, and even in some of the teachings, like they had some people that would teach each each like week there'd be a different person teaching a different aspect in the discipleship training school. So um you see different teaching approaches. So that's that's when I was picking that up more of like the you can see how people specifically were using things um as like a manipulation tactic in speech. And that's not even like specific to the church, to Christian teachers, but like at, across the board, if people are trying to be convincing. There are certain ways yeah. that they speak certain, like what I was talking about before, like certain pauses and extra time they do to emphasize and grab people's attention. Like there is ways that people will um, like, for example, if someone would be like, like such and such, such and such, such, such and such. Kind of like that as an example. They're taking mm -hmm. extra time, pausing and having those breaks so that um, it's grabbing the listener's attention and making it like this is a really important thing. Um, especially growing up where I, where I did in, in, uh, at my mom's house. We were right across the street from a Mormon church. And I was like maybe 10 years before I had any missionaries come over, which I was really surprised because you think right across the street, they do it all the time. Um, and yeah. I usually with with the Jehovah's Witnesses or um, Mormon missionaries, I was always pretty cordial. I didn't really understand like their culture and stuff, so I'd be like, hey, if you want to come in, I got like, I can get, make a cup of coffee or something like that, and didn't realize that they didn't do coffee and whatnot. Mm. Um, but even in that, having like Mormon missionaries and being like, oh, I have my missionary friends, let's go get burritos, and we'll talk about theology, we'll discuss things. And it usually ended up being like me being like, well, I know that in my experience, I've seen, to my uh, knowledge, I've seen God heal people by putting hands on them and praying over them. Um, and you like seeing the Holy Spirit move and being like, well, did you see that? Oh, you didn't see that? I don't believe you, kind of thing. And, and then bringing me to the actual like Mormon temple and, and talking to me, and they were talking about they're like that same way using the pauses with the fire pillars and trying to break down the kind of uh, book of Mormon version of, of their faith. And uh, it's really interesting seeing that and being like feeling um, uncomfortable because they were put like the way that you draw out your speech like that puts people in an uncomfortable position where they feel like they're feeling something. Um, mm. And that was really interesting too, because I remember being kind of like, my identity being in the church and being a Christian guy who is like, this is what it is. I, and being on the evangelical side and um, not knowing, uh, you know, the damage that sometimes that can bring. Um, my whole life was always being like, 
I want to be like Jesus. And I, knowing Jesus and knowing Jesus is someone who is like uh, fully like loving and accepting and, you know, um, in the same way going to church and having homophobic like rhetoric and, and like communication, like stuff pushed, like having a God that was supposed to be fully loving and fully accepting, but then having a church that's demonizing people for a specific belief demonizing non-believers oh so sad that you're going to hell kind of stuff like that but being like well i mean i have like i have homosexual people that i love in my life um and i have trans people that i love in my life and i would never want them to not walk in their identity i would never want them to not yeah. be seen how they should be seen that how they how in their mind they're like this is me this is how i present to the world this is who i am and i would never want someone pushing an identity that they're wrong and uh, I don't think, I think when I think of like, you know, the like uh, uh, different stories that Jesus was talking about, uh, how the person invited all the people from the town to his table to sit with because all of his honored guests wouldn't make it. And thinking how like God was the God who, Jesus was someone who like brought Mary Magdalene up as like a, a person who was t uh, shunned from the community on the verge of being stoned to death. And having God being an accepting God and in and, and, and that way, understanding that side of it being like, that's who I want to be. And then seeing, not seeing that reflected in the church um, and also seeing people outed for being weird. Like if you couldn't really be weird in the church, you had to be a specific way. Um, and so I think a lot of it was, yeah, this is weird. Um, so yeah, manipulation talking, yeah. just picking up on different speakers and hearing lots of different speakers, um, especially like, going uh to different churches and uh for me i was always trying to find a good like spot after after uh ywam to go back and you know stick with it um went to my presbyterian church for a couple of years and then ended up picking up in carlsbad where i met you yeah you mentioned um the like homophobic rhetorics and being told to love someone but but you can't love that group or individual kind of just reminds me of, of your mentioning um, when you first heard people are talking about, Hey, divorce being divorced is bad. And then you're like, yeah. wait, my mom is divorced. That's like the same thing. You're like, I know I have gay friends. I have yeah. people that aren't, don't fit within this culture and I love them. Um, have you, have you made that correlation? Yeah. I mean, I think, being a, a kid who was in, on the defense for his his mom, I was always you know in in a position where if I saw someone who was wasn't being treated right or someone who was being made fun of, I wanted to like be the like the stopping force in there and kind of get my head in there. Like if someone was even when it when when I was a little kid and we would like all like like uh, horse around and and fight or whatever, I noticed they're picking on somebody else like more. I would like want to intervene and like cut it out completely and being trying to be on that place of like defense. So like, um, I could not, I could not in my brain, like, like, uh, commute or I couldn't, I couldn't process how I could love someone, but be like, Oh, but you have to completely change your way. Or like, you know, I love you and Jesus loves you, but you're going to hell or, or, and, yeah. and the concept of hell in itself of being like, um, everyone's excluded because of one specific thing or it doesn't matter who, who the person presents as it's because of this one belief. It's all, uh, 
it's all going to hell kind of thing. And, and uh, it was hard for me, I think too, um, learning more about like Greek and Aramaic words and how some scriptures were like misconstrued. Like some people were using the word homosexual, um, in, in the English interpolation interpretation, but in reality, the word used was like someone who would be like considered a pedophile. So like being, and so in the same way, like demonizing an entire group of people because of a way something, a, a word misinterpreted. And, uh, I think that was hard for me too, because they're even looking into like, like Greek and Roman, like culture of how like mentors and mentees also sometimes had sexual relations and being like, that's not, that's not right. Like, that's not how that should be. Um, so I was hard, uh, hearing all that word, hearing, hearing like, um, as a young kid, hearing people that were just like ostracized for one specific thing was really hard. Oh, you got divorced, but it wasn't the right means. But then I'd be like, well, like I come from a divorced family and specific to the Bible, what you're saying is the means were correct because it was, there's infidelity or, um, you know, I just felt, yeah, it was weird. Uh, a lot of it was like, well, the Bible says this, but I don't know. I don't know if I feel that even as a kid being like, the Bible says, uh, in my as a kid, the Bible says, you know, this certain person, how their the sexual orientation is is demonizing them and, and and sending them to a place of like se complete separation from the world, like complete separation mm -hmm. from God, place of like purgatory or hell, you know. And I think that was always hard. Um, the like lack of freedom people were given to make their own decisions and lack of agency people were given as far as like you have to be a specific way now you mentioned earlier like when you you would sit down with the mormon missionaries coming coming by and you would bring up miracles how do you reconcile with um your history with with miracles and and seeing them firsthand yeah i mean that's a really interesting it, that was was always the thing that was more of like the not being able to say I'm an atheist or not being able to say yeah. there's no greater power. Um, and I remember uh, the second round with YRAM, I did back to Kona and then I went to North, North Europe, um, went to Sweden and Finland for like a month and a half each, um, just short term missions and talking with someone and saying, they were talking about, it was a person who was just kind of questioning everything. And he said, like, he was ask, asking if I've ever interacted with the Holy spirit. I'm like, absolutely. He's like, have you um, encountered that on a like personal or only in group settings? And I said, well, I mean, uh, to my knowledge, I've I encountered it in a personal setting because he was, he was basically um, associating that with like a metaphysical group response, a group think response. Like everyone gets together and feels a certain way. And then they um, feel, share that same feeling. Oh, I heard this. Oh, I'm hearing this. Oh, I'm seeing this. Um, and I think going, headlong like going like super deep into the more pentecostal side of stuff um and learning about like uh getting words from the lord and prophesying and whatnot um there was that the local outreach where we would um you know do the treasure hunts and i'm like i feel like god was saying there's somebody with a, a knee injury out here and seeing somebody on a cane and be like yo can i pray for your knee and um praying for them and seeing a certain level of relief or seeing like someone saying, Oh, I don't have any pain anymore. And Oh my gosh, I'm walking all good. And my, my knee's bending fine. And, uh, the hard part of that is like, 
I think now when I'm looking back at it, it's hard to question if it was something that was God or something that was like a metaphysical thing. Like, I don't think I have specific healing properties as a person, but like, sometimes I think of, you know, I think of like Reiki therapy or I think of different, um, Eastern practices that people use for healing. There's healing touch therapy and whatnot like that. So that's not like specific to a religion or specific to a spirit being like invoked on someone. Um, but sometimes it's like the, um, getting on someone's level, hearing them out, understanding their situation and then you know having that support there there is almost i i don't know if it's it's uh specific to a miracle or if it's a uh uh like what's it what would it be it would be like like a like a spiritual response like or like a physical response someone has to just being heard and having hands led on them and i remember every time when i would uh, was it in missions and even in, in the church when I'd pray for people, people were like, Oh my gosh, your hands are so hot. Like, I, it's like, feels like you have like some kind of a hot. And in YWAM, it was always like, Oh, you have like the fire of the Lord or something like that. But I've yeah. always been like a very yeah. hot running person. So, I mean, there's certain properties there where like maybe there is some metaphysical or some, some kind of like energy that, that we expel that, that heals people or you know that, that can bring a, a comfort uh, i think seeing yeah. like people that had like one leg shorter than the other and seeing that leg grow out i know that there's a lot of practices now that it's just a chiropractic thing it's an adjustment that people have uh an offset um hip or offset pelvis <clears throat> and it's just recorrecting that alignment uh, so yeah. i don't know if i'm if i'm seeing god actually move and grow someone's leg or if i'm seeing someone get the alignment they needed for the last however many years um yeah so it's really hard and I, I think a lot of times we would be in like uh we had like some 24-hour worship like uh things where people play music and be praying and all that stuff and i remember there's one time that sticks out in particular where someone was epileptic and they were seizing but they brought them into the back like it was a demonic procession and like oh he's he's encountering a dark spirit and you're like I don't know, man. He looks like he's just having a seizure. And they're like, so they took him over to the side. Everyone's praying over him and it settles. And they're like, oh yeah, we ex expelled it. But I'm like, I don't, I don't know. He might need to be checked out for something else that is like medical. So I think a lot of times people use their platform and be like, I know the truth. I know everything that's happening, but not understanding that there is like medical issues that people have. There's physical, physical boundaries that people are, are seeing from like a chemical imbalance and stuff like that and acknowledging that. And I think it's interesting seeing that played out in like, uh, like exorcists and whatnot that are like, they have to actually go through that course. Again, like the Catholic church, if you're in, an exorcist, you're, there is a certain amount of process you have to do to like acknowledge this as like a quote unquote demonic possession. Like you would see in the movies, like the big scary <laughs> ghost or whatever, or people saying this is needs to be at the time. It was like something that needed institutional institutionalization or like in, to be medically treated. So, the miracles themselves were um, hard and it's hard for me. That was the hardest grasp for me as far as deconstruction and being like, do I still have faith? Do I still believe, um, you know, the regular Christian beliefs? And I mean, I think the easiest thing as a Christian was being like, Oh, mystery is God. Anything I don't know is just God and leaving that all to God and being like, he's helping me expand this. And my truth is that God is God. And there's enough of the unknown that he doesn't, that he doesn't need to explain to me that it's just happening because God. And I think 
having the the comfort in God being that answer to all um, was also a deterrent because I think in a lot of ways as a, as a human we need to just be accepting of the things we don't know um, and and and, a, and it doesn't have to have a name on it because even in the sense of of throwing it all to God and saying oh God is the answer for everything. Um, it's not like it, it's not it's not an, an actual concrete answer of, as to why A is B. Um, so I think having the comfort in saying there is unknown things that that we can't put a, an answer to, um, not and not just have a default of oh well that's God. Um, like you know they have the philosophical debate of can God make a rock that's too big for him to carry, which is like mm-hmm. the big thing yeah. that you look out for. Oh this is and then you use your apologetics. Apologetics was another one that got me in that place of being like. Oh, I'm seeing the manipulation here. I'm seeing like apologetics being not like an explanation for someone to get to a conclusion or get an answer, but a way of like gaslighting someone into believing something. And uh, that was that was interesting going through that course too. Like, uh, you know, like I remember as a, as a leader, we had like an apologetics course and being like, "This isn't helping the per- the individual. It's just you gaslighting them into believing what you believe until they walk away and they go back to their beliefs." So that was weird, but yeah. So I don't know. I don't know about the the miracle stuff. I don't know if I was actually experiencing miracles and seeing miracles happen, or if it was some biological, metaphysical thing that could be more mm. related to more of like a, uh, I don't know, energy. Yeah, I, I remember. I would go to the chiropractor. We, uh, Alicia and I, got in a car accident many yeah. years ago, and the chiropractor would like have us put our hand up, and he'd like push against it. It's, and then it'd be really hard to push back against uh, the doctor and then you get an adjustment, you jolt your leg and then all of a sudden I have all this energy to push back. And so yeah. I totally get what you're saying. It's like, yeah, it's really hard to decipher, especially when it's something so trivial as, oh, my knee hurts or um, I'm feeling really weak. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, well, now, now you're feeling fine. Um. Yeah, I guess uh, the, n- the next question would kind of be, uh, do you, what like ad- advice do you have for anybody, um, or what did you want to know as a younger Rex? Um, that would that would have been extremely helpful. That you've now having pulled back the curtain and, and looking behind, um, and with all the knowledge you have now, what what's kind of something you want to get out there that that you think. Oh man, if you're if you're going to go down this path, here's something that that you should know, or that I would yeah. want you to know. I mean, I think that like circling back, I think everyone lives their own truths. Uh, I think if you are deciding a certain thing is your truth, and it's not putting any pain on anyone else and not causing you to to hurt other people, um, and you know you're acting morally and having some kind of a compass, I think that's a good a good course for you. Um, my like me talking to younger self would have been um, just hearing myself out and being a constant force without like a, a agenda behind it. Like having, I think what would have benefited me was having, you know, some kind of person I could have confided in um, talking things through being heard, but not having it be like, yeah, Jesus. And not like having me like, okay, now that or like, and not being in a place where every every circle I'd go to, it would be some individual that would almost like pick up that I had abandonment issues. I had neglect issues. I had a 
desire to be um, seen by a father type figure, and then having the per- the same person being like using that as a tactic to think like they had agency over me or like some way of controlling. So the talking to younger self would be like reading, uh, doing your own research, looking things up, um, and like really trying to like analyze the people you're talking to um, and finding a way to address emotions that you have and having a way of finding a way to regulate your emotions um, not just in a physical, because the biggest thing for me when I was out of, uh, you know, now that I'm a married guy with two kids, I didn't have the same outlet I had when I was a kid where I could just ride my bike, you know, 100 miles a week or something like that. I could go, if I was really bored, there's no surf and there's no one to want to skate, I could just take the train down to downtown and ride my bike back. Um, you know, do like that that quick like coast, coast trip and then crank up the the pb hill and coast down tory pines and then go all the way through on the coast and just get all that energy out so i had that physical release that also allowed me to mask like my emotional um so i think that there's uh it's good to share your emotions it's good to have vulnerability and, and find transparency with people but also there is certain like things in that where you want to um see where people are like what their what their motives are sometimes because some sometimes people that are trying to champion you or trying to uh, like invest in you in time sometimes their goal is to have you lock into a certain truth or have you um, believe a certain thing that might not be accurate. Um, so I think having trusted relationships that don't have any motives behind them that aren't uh, healthy for you. Um, and then, yeah, being heard, uh, I think a lot of times as a kid, it was just wanting to be acknowledged, um, and saying like, you know, you can be weird. Um, you can be interested in the things you're interested in and that's not an issue just as long as you're not hurting yourself, not hurting your other, hurting others or, you know, um, being indoctrinated into any like hate based beliefs. Like, I think like you shouldn't, you should, if you want to understand Biggest, like, the biggest takeaway with me as a Christian was um, like understanding God as an accepting God, a God of love, not a God of like, like uh, judgment in the sense of, and that was a really weird line to follow too, because people would even yeah. even in my like recent years, we'd have people talk about stuff, um, and me being someone who is like, I want to know everything about it, whatever I'm into, I was like, of a of a small portion of people that I around me that had read the, the Bible more than once and read it broken apart, read it in different sections and read it um, fully and uh, seeing some of the stories and being like, well, that's weird. Like the whole in the Old Testament, there is a like handmaid servant who was killed and the, the course was separating her into 12 parts and sending the different parts to the church, like to the mm-hmm. to the like to the bride, the um, Church of Israel like, got the, uh, at the time or like the whole thing with the she bears and Elisha on the, and and calling the she bears out to attack these kids because this prophet of God was made fun of for being bald, um, and mm. it was interesting seeing that, and then also seeing like you know the relationship between like Jonathan and David of uh, being more than just like a a paleo brotherly love, but there was like some almost like like compassion towards them that was like 
David loving a man more than he's ever loved a woman and having a connection there. Um, and then also like reading about Uriah the Hittite. Uriah the Hittite was one of God's like, or David's like man, mighty men, uh, this spear wielding Hittite who was like one of his main dudes of his like thousand manly men or whatever, like uh, great warriors and him using his position to send Uriah to the front lines to be killed so he could be with Bathsheba, Uriah's wife. And I think there's stuff like that where you're like, it's, it's just interesting. Because there's a lot of people that have this concept of being like, oh, I want to be like David. It's like David had so much blood on his hands, God wouldn't let him finish the temple. So it's like, yeah. you don't want to be like David. He's had a lot of issues. And he was, you know, mm. a, a warlord who sent men yeah. to the front lines to die so he could take their wives. Um, so I, I think, I don't know, that's a total different rant. Talking to my younger self mm-hmm. would be finding a way to um, know yourself more and know your identity personally, um, but also finding a way to uh, get help, get a therapist, uh, talk things through, feel like you're being acknowledged and like feel feel heard instead of just like being like it's fine, uh, bottling up. If you're in a position where like you're pouring into a bunch of people but not having anything in response or not having any selling yourself, you're going to be empty and you're going to, uh, you know, dress down your own emotions and push that away and kind of throw it in a box. Um, so yeah. I think that that's in summation. I don't really know. Like I'm kind of scattered because I'm just like a, like I was talking yeah. before we started recording. It was like, this is, I haven't really had any like formal explanation of where I'm at with everything. Mm. Yeah. That's totally, totally fine too. I feel like a lot like of people are just like, up. yeah, it's like, I don't know. Like I know how to convince myself out of it, but I know how to convince myself into it. And so yeah. there's that, unless you're, you've had time to verbally process it, you're just in your head. Um, yeah. It's like you said, like find, find a therapist, find somebody that's willing to just listen to you and let you share your, your piece. And so with that, what's one thing you want a listener to know about you? And this could be someone listening that knows you from a while back or, you know, a, a, a recent friend or just know somebody that doesn't know you at all. What's that one thing you want to kind of put out there? One thing to put out there, I would say. I think I, I, I as like, even, even as, a um, I don't know. I I don't have like a specific thing. I think a lot of it is it's okay to look out for yourself sometimes. It's okay to do the personal work to help you because it reflects on your relationships. You know, I think um, it's not good to feel like you have the answer for everything without, you know, seeking your own help. I think even normal people need uh, someone who can also support them. I think it's also good to to not be alone if you're stuck in the world and you feel like no one's there for you, no one cares about you. Um, understanding that there is, you know, ser- there there should be services. There's services that hopefully they can find help and find someone to talk to, confide in. Um, and where I'm at now, I mean, I think it's always good to constantly be questioning. Um, and I think a lot of it is just being okay with being a little confused. Um, I'm in a place where I don't have an answer for things. Uh, I don't have that much 
um, like outward vocalization about my beliefs and and whatnot. But um, I don't know. I think one thing for take for takeaway. It's a really hard question for me because my brain goes a million miles a minute, and I think I have like a thousand intertwining thoughts. Yeah, but I think uh, being okay with the mystery being a mystery, um, being okay with uh, hearing—I I, I don't know—I think it's good to have. A, me personally, I'm trying to keep an open, uh, open ear to hearing everyone and getting feedback, but also in, a, in the same way, when you're hearing things from certain people, especially when it comes into beliefs, like trying to understand the motive behind it. Um, not saying everyone's out for the negative, but definitely there's a lot of people out there that are going to try to uh, push you a certain way. So I think making making your beliefs your beliefs and not leaning on someone to guide, to, to say this is exactly what it is. Um, I think it's, uh, it's my best, my best like strength for me was questioning everything and always being on the side of not in the sense of I don't trust, not in the sense of mistrust, but in the sense of always like trying to seek knowledge on it and seeking understanding uh, and making that your own. Thank you for thank you for sharing. Thank you for coming on. It's been a pleasure hearing new things that I didn't know. Um, I was thinking about that earlier. I was like, I don't know if I actually know a lot about. Rex. And maybe maybe it, it was shared to me and I just was too in my own head to to, to remember. Yeah, I mean, that, that was, even as a high school leader, I think one of my faults was like being able to just trying to be as transparent as possible with people. So when people had questions about stuff, like I don't know, just being like I don't, I don't know that answer, but I'll, we'll get into it. or And just trying to tell people yeah. exactly my experiences and not trying to sugarcoat things. But not in a sense of like I didn't want to put too much on people, but if people had questions, answering it active, a- accurately and truthfully. Um, and that's always yeah. been my thing. It's like, why to have an integrity, in- some some sense of integrity, at least in my brain, what I think is integrity and um, trying to explain people and help them help them with their own things, but not in a place of being like, this is exactly, it's, it's, it's not black and white, you know, it's, it's there are a lot of yeah. it's gray. So if someone needs to ex- like, what should I do here? I can say, well, this is, a, this is what I would do, this is what I believe I should do. Um, but gotta make your own decision on it, kind of. Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, I definitely, if you, I, I definitely can ex- talk forever about things, but a lot of it's been in a place where I don't know, I never really had someone want me to come on and talk about myself so much. So it's hard <laughs> for me to have like a, a fine, like thread that you can track the whole time. So sorry if I was like all over the place talking. But. Hey there, if you're like me, you love diving into a good story, but who has time to sit down and read? That's where Audible comes in. With Audible, you can listen to your favorite books, whether you're commuting, working out, or just chilling at home. They've got an unbeatable selection of audiobooks, from bestsellers to exclusive content you won't find anywhere else. Right now, Audible is offering our listeners a special deal. Just visit collisionpodcast.org slash sponsors again collisionpodcast.org slash sponsors to start your free 30-day trial 